Hi, you're listening to the AUSA podcast. I'm Brenna, the director of student activities. And I'm Luke, the podcast producer. Often you'll find us here chatting with some of the incredible people of AU, talking about life on campus, and of course, telling you about the events that we've got coming up. We're so glad you're here. Thanks for listening. Hey, uh, welcome back to the AUSA podcast. Um, This week we have two guests. Brenna is not here, unfortunately, but we have... Hi, I'm Sylvia Swords. <laughs> Sylvia's a, a friend of mine and of student activities, I guess. You have a lot of friends yeah. on student activities. Um, so I think we can say that. We have another friend of student activities. Uh, J.T. Turner. I teach uh, philosophy here at AU. Nice. Yeah. I had I had Dr. Turner for uh, philosophy. 210, that's when right. What was that? Two years ago? A year ago? Uh, I was talking to I Bethany no about that earlier, uh, and I... Th- I think it was the un, one of the unfortunate COVID semesters. It when was we did half in class, half out. Yeah. Uh, so it must have been fall Probably. 2020. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I liked the class, but I did not like the the split. Right. Yeah, it was just, unfortunate. Especially for philosophy. Yeah. That just mm-hmm. kind of kills. Uh, That's right. Yeah. So I guess tell us about, um, like, when we've had faculty and staff on before, like, tell us about yourself, where your field of study was. Um, what you like, what you don't like, all that sort of stuff. (laughs) What I like and what I don't like. Oh, geez. Uh, How do I not get myself into trouble? Um, No, I I teach philosophy here. I'm I'm at the end of my fourth year now, going into my fifth year next fall uh, here at AU. Um, Most people don't know this. Uh, Sylvia will know this. She's in my philosophy religion class. But I'm actually, I mean, I, I... do philosophy professionally, but I do it really in the service of doing theology. My mm-hmm. PhD is in theology, philosophical theology, but theology nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where my research typically goes. And uh, you know, given the subject matter we'll be talking about today, it really has a lot to do with that. The new creation, yeah. uh, the world made right, is even if not always explicit in uh, my writing and research even though sometimes it is, it's at least implicit or underlying the motivations yeah. for why I'm asking the questions that I'm asking. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, I'm married to Bethany. She also works at AU. If you guys are student activities people listening to this, you probably know who <laughs> Bethany yeah. is. She's Brenna's, uh, I don't know, BFF, attached to her right hip, whatever you want to say. Um, so you'll, you'll know her. We have a little dog called Theo and a, a new son called James. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's see, I did my um, PhD training over at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. Um, same place as our provost, Dr. Neil, yeah. under the same uh, supervisors, it turns out, Dr. Wow. Professor Ferguson, who's now um, the Regis Professor of Divinity at Cambridge, uh, wow. which is a Queen's appointment. That's cool. Um, wow. So, yeah. He, That's that, crazy. Yeah, he's, uh, <laughs> Elizabeth he's, herself. Yeah, he, yeah he's a <laughs> classic Liz. Uh, yeah, Professor Ferguson, David, is a, uh, is a super scholar. Uh, very humble, but, you know, incredible. But in any case, that's mm. a little bit about me. Uh, anything else you need to know? No, that's good. Okay. I just learned, Sylvia told me before this, you did your PhD with Dr. Wyma? No. Uh, so Dr. Wyma was at uh, <laughs> University of St. Andrews. We both, did, oh. we, we both did them in Scotland. That's true. They were in the same place. Same country. Same yes, country. That's right. we're, I was ab- about an hour train ride away from uh, University of St. Andrews. I, I want like, to say that I went to the Superior Ancient University. Uh-huh. She would probably disagree. I know. She um, said that. I was thinking, I was like, I've like skimmed Dr. Wyma's right. thesis. I didn't. Now, Dr. Shaw and I both did PhDs at the same place, overlapping okay. by a year. In fact, Dr. Shaw okay. and his wife, Amanda, stayed with us in our flat for the first three or four weeks uh, while they were in country so nice. that they could find a flat. That's, That's cool. Yeah. Wow. Sylvia, who are you? 
Oh, who am I? <laughs> yeah. That's a weighty question. Uh, well, I'm Sylvia. Mm-hmm. I am a sophomore here at AU. I'm finishing up my sophomore year. I'll be a junior. Um, I, as Dr. Turner said, I'm in his philosophy of religion class, and uh, he's kind of stuck with me for the next two years of my <laughs> <laughs> college yeah, career. That's right. That's right. Uh, I remember emailing Kendall, the, um, I don't know her job title here, but she's like the biz whiz of the she Christian Studies department, yeah. literally. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember talking to her about adding on a theology and philosophy concentration, and Dr. Turner is also my advisor, so oh, no. it was this like beautiful <laughs> meshing of, of like school and more intimate school, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, but um, so I'm a Christian studies major here at AU. I have a concentration in theology and philosophy, of course, and then I have another concentration in preaching. So uh, my junior year is about to be chock full of (laughs) reading and writing and (laughs) speaking. But yeah, I, I am not married to Bethany. I do not have a dog named Theo, and I also don't have a son named oh, James. Oh, okay. But I do have a picture of your son in my room because your wife gave, him, gave ah, it to me. Ah, all right. Well, so she's I have a, very nice. I have a picture of little baby James on my desk. That's you can also sweet. see maybe too many of them on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not too many. Yeah. There's never, never too, too many. many. Um, he's a cute kid. Yeah, thank you. Um, but... Yeah, so like Dr. Turner said, we'll be talking today about uh, new creation. Uh, really, that's what it is. We've been talking all semester about um, culture making, and that is like making something of the world, um, and it, both in an ideological sense, like why are we here, what are we doing, um, and in a tangible sense, like hey, here's an omelet or a highway um, <laughs> <laughs> or a beautiful piece of music, whatever it is. Um, and so we've moved through these ideas uh, in each episode kind of of like, if you want to make change, you can't just kind of look at culture and say, oh, that's bad or, oh, this could be a little bit better or, oh, like, this is fine. Let's just kind of transplant it and hope it, you know, kind of fits our Christian mold. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, obviously, if we're just like consuming it, then that's not going to do anything. Um, the only way to incite lasting change is to create something new. And that's from uh, this book that we've been using um, called Culture Making by this man, Andy Crouch. Brilliant. Um, great, great author. Great book. You should read it. But um, he kind of asserts that like creating new things and cultivating things that already exist to be better and more beautiful is our biggest. And and he kind of says soul, I disagree, but like responsibility um, within the image of God. And then we've talked about how culture making this this is a group effort. We can't do it alone. Um, We actually have to do something with the gifts we've been giving. We can't just think about it. Nothing will happen then. Um, Culture making is synonymous with leading. Um, and then last week we talked about Jesus and how he modeled um, what this act of cultivation and creation looks like in the image of God. Mm-hmm. Um, so for today's purposes, um, we've talked about Genesis uh, 1 and 2 quite a bit in this series. And so just a little crash course bullet point list of important things from Genesis 1 and 2. We're made in God's image. We're made in God's likeness. We have dominion and authority over creation. We have responsibility to fill the earth and reign over it on behalf of God. God has given us everything we need to be creative like him. And God does not want us to be alone in this work. Um, Those are all super important just for culture making in general. Like I feel like if we forget any one of those, they're kind of core pillars of... um, what we're supposed to be doing here. Uh, But with that from the garden, humans saw this other way that was more Mm -hmm. self-serving of doing things uh, where they could rule 
and they could redefine what good and evil was in their own terms for their own gain and their own glory. Um, and a lot of people are like, oh, the fall of man. But like this, I feel like this fork in the road where humans have to decide to trust God or trust their own way, like that shows up all throughout the Old Testament, even in the New Testament and like today in our, in our lives every single day. Um, and then so from there, they got more and more evil and violent and dishonest and uh, they created this this place called Babel, this big city um, that represents the self-worship of, of people and achievements of humanity. Mm-hmm. So Babel or Washington, D.C. or Tokyo or Japan uh, or uh, Jerusalem or London, uh, whatever you want to call it, shows us that like the first creative effort of mankind collectively in the Bible and the one honestly with the most potential uh was a total failure, mm-hmm. uh, which is a bummer. But all that failure will be re- redeemed and restored and is being in, uh, redeemed and restored right now. Um, so that's what we're talking about today. So that was a lot of words really quickly uh, from me. So what does the hope of a new creation mean to you? Like when you think of everything set against this uh, reality that everything is going to be redeemed, even creation, even like the ground, mm-hmm. um, and even certain like cultural artifacts will get to that. Um, what does that mean to you? Oh, uh, okay. Well, um, so I suppose I want to be cautious about things meaning something to me and not meaning something to somebody else. Mm. Uh, because, well, there's a, a several reasons. One would be when we're thinking about the concept of new creation, mm-hmm. seems like we're deriving it out of uh, the scriptures, both the Hebrew Bible and the New, and the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And whatever it is we're getting from those sources, probably the human authors intended to mean something by it. Mm-hmm. And more, more importantly, question mark, uh, <laughs> the divine author meant to say something by it. Mm-hmm. So I want to know something about what God means um, when he promises new creation, something like that. Now, if you're asking the question, what what does God mean by it? Or if you're asking the question, why is it something I long for and hope for? Mm. Why does it seem to be mm. impactful for my life? Um, those seem like two different questions. Mm. Um, let's take the latter question, which I think is probably what you're getting at. Mm. Uh, why, do it, why is it... Um, important for me? Why yeah. is it something that makes yeah. me um, long for its realization? Hmm. Well, it's interesting is I'm in the middle of writing up a, um, a little piece for um, a magazine that my former uh, school university puts out. Um, not where I was employed. I did a grad degree there at Erskine. Uh, should I not say that at <laughs> AU? Um, and uh, it was asking me about uh, reflecting on Easter and mm. uh, Easter. Am I allowed to break the fourth wall and say that um, this is recorded shortly after Easter? Yeah. Um, <laughs> some podcasts are released like four months later. I don't know. Right, um, yeah. So this is shortly after Easter, right? And Easter for me is a time to reflect on the resurrection of Jesus, mm-hmm. the promise that that delivers, or the down payment that delivers on the right. promise of the new creation and our own resurrections. Mm-hmm. Why is that something important for me to think about? Well... I mean, there's the trivial answer. Um, if it's not the case, then Christianity's not the case. Yeah. yeah. So that's important. I've uh-huh. kind of staked my life on that. Yeah. Uh, but also, and maybe less trivially, 
it gives me something to hope. Like it gives me a reason to think that no matter how bad things look in the here and now, God's going to set things right. Mm-hmm. True, yeah. And it's what I sort of long for. Even in myself, I think, why do I still struggle with greediness or selfishness or mm. laziness or gluttony for crying out loud. I mean, things I've struggled with since mm. I was like nine. Yeah. Right. I'm 41 years old. Like, why is it the case that I still have these problems? Um, is it true that God's finally going to relieve me of my mm. want to do these wicked things? And the resurrection of Jesus tells me yes. Mm. Um, that's the down payment on that promise that's yeah, going to happen. Yeah. So why is it important for me? Well, one day... The world and myself will be set right. The wicked stuff mm-hmm. is going to go away. I think it's Tolkien that says in uh, The Lord of the Rings through maybe Samwise Gamgee or something, um, one day the sad things are going to become un- untrue. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that's significant for me to think about. It, I mean, here's where I think it is subjective in the sense that, you know, the older I get, the more overwhelmed by sadness mm. and death and destruction and injustice I get. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I was in y'all's age, I didn't pay much attention to it, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I wasn't that aware of things. Probably you guys are more aware than me. Um, but I was just kind of like, yeah, you know, let's play rock and roll. Let's play sports. It's cool. Um, <laughs> but the more, older I get, the more I realize, no, actually, the world's pretty upside down from where it should be. And, right. and yeah. the, the new creation is a hope that one day it won't be that way. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. That was a really good answer. Um, <laughs> a bit long-winded, sorry. Yeah, you're good. Oh, yeah. i got to follow that up. Um, I definitely agree with the, a lot of the, like, personal um, sort of attributes of, of the down payment that Jesus has done is we get to be uh, delivered, like, once again from the things that we still struggle with in our flesh because we do we do have this fleshly nature about us that, that – um, causes us to have a dependence on God that Mm. is um, truly something that we're never going to get rid of, and I would never want to get rid of my dependence on God. So coming to this realization that because of the cross, because of the resurrection of Jesus, there there are things that we get to be freed from now, Mm. Um, but I've also heard a lot of uh, viewpoints that say almost that we like we don't have to wait for freedom that a lot of people would believe comes after Jesus comes back. Yeah. So a lot of the, like, we have the authority of Jesus. We have the um, the power that Jesus holds when we say yes and we are um, made new creations in Jesus Christ. We, we carry the authority of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Mm. So a lot, of, I know some people that believe with that authority we can exercise the things that jesus exercised here um and i agree i agree with Mm -hmm. you know when you get into the nitty-gritty of it you can sort of pick and choose your battles but (laughs) when when you think about it like truly when you are in christ you have the holy spirit inside of you um you get to partake in the things that jesus partook in um on this side of eternity Mm -hmm. but when when the sun does come back. What does that look like for us to um, still practice that authority? Because Jesus is there in and of Himself, mm-hmm. and just like how we were talking about earlier, um, I might be jumping over a few questions, but you got it. <laughs> um, this New Jerusalem, like it's a city, it's not a garden mm-hmm. where 
God intentionally made the garden in the first place, but he, the new Jerusalem is a city, something that we have made, um, poorly so, but we sort of have to like reconcile with the fact that the, the spirit of God, the holiness of God sits in that city and we are no longer vessels because yeah. he himself is there. So when we receive Jesus, the son coming back the second time, mm. like it describes in revelation, um, we have to sort of reconcile with what that means to partake mm-hmm. in the authority of God. Um, but for me, this this idea of, you said, um, I'm blanking. <laughs> Recreation. Recreation, yes. Yeah. Um, I believe we get to we get to hold on to this recreation because we do sit on this side of the resurrection. Mm-hmm. We're not sitting in, you know, 583 BC where, you know, the temple yeah. is like, ah, that's and tough. yeah, but we get to truly be in relationship with Jesus as intimately as he yeah. intended us to. Um, this new creation is, it's like a, a beautiful thing mm-hmm. that, we get to partake in. And for me, I just never want to take that for granted. Um, and every single paper I write pretty much from my major, it's, it ends on some note of, I never want to take for granted this opportunity that I get to have of life with Jesus. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Good. Good answer. Yeah. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. I think thinking about like, you said like we're on this side of resurrection. So why do so many, like, I feel like so many Christians split up time into like mm-hmm. these three different increments things yeah. there's like pre-resurrection post-resurrection and then there's like post 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 resurrection <laughs> which is like end times you know what i yeah. mean like which is that's a whole conversation we can just sure. gloss over that yeah. but um well i do, like I, I, I do think there's a pro i mean a problem that you're picking out right. that's endemic in at least evangelical culture i mean that's mm-hmm. the culture i'm in so i'll speak to that um one of my major, we'll call it bugbears, I guess, with the way common preaching and teaching often goes, I won't say everybody's guilty of this because they're not, but yeah. many are. We seem to have neutered the good news to being something like, congratulations, your sins have been forgiven. Mm. Now, that is good news, right? but that's not the sum total of it. Right. That's like a means to an end. Uh, well, what's the actual end? Well, this project that God started in Jesus in the resurrection, namely the launch of the new creation. Yeah. Well, if we don't think of Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, as starting a a new kingdom, breaking in from the future, as it were, into the present, mm-hmm. if we don't think of it in that term, then the only thing we're going to think of is, well, one day I get to be with Jesus, and that's yeah. sort of like um, the pot, the you know pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Right. And right now, I'm just sort of buying my time to till I get that gold. Yeah. But if you already realize that the pot of gold having to continue the terrible analogy <laughs> has already started, yeah. um, then you'll see there's a task we're supposed to be up to. There's right. a project we're supposed to get on with. Mm-hmm. It's not a delayed thing. Mm-hmm. It's a, as we say in theology speak, there's a now to it and a not yet. It's fulfillment right. isn't here. Yeah. It's consummation isn't here. But the, um, the procession has begun, yeah. let's say. Right. Yeah. Um, last week we talked about like Jesus as a culture maker and we got into talking about this idea where it's like we have made Jesus like in so many of our minds, we've made Jesus theoretically human. Like he's just oh, yeah. kind mm-hmm. of like this 
abstract idea of a human person yeah instead of like a bronze skinned (laughs) middle eastern rabbi who Mm. like had calluses on his hands and laugh lines do you know what i mean and like (laughs) when you take that (laughs) when you take that idea and you kind of insert it into like how you like you you look at the world through that like jesus was a person who had a cultural inheritance. Mm-hmm. He was born into a, like, because there's two genealogies, it's so important that he was born into a line of human beings right. um, that were all deeply flawed, and he came to rescue them all, um, future and and past, from that, that flaw and failure. And I think it's a similar thing. We sort of, like, made everything about our faith, except somehow for, like, the works that we Protestants love to focus on. Right and how much they don't save us, but how much we love to do them. Right. Like everything else is just kind of like this up in the sky. It's a pot of gold. And we're sure. like, whatever, like mm-hmm. we'll get there eventually. Um, yeah, that's that's good stuff. I like that. Do you have any thoughts on that? I have a lot of thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. I don't think we have enough time for that though. <laughs> <Okay>. um, <laughs> yeah, but like when you mentioned the whole works-based sort of deal, yeah. Um, I have these conversations with my mom a lot because she's like the only one who will listen to me sometimes. <laughs> um, but she really struggled with the passage in James that says uh, faith without works yeah. is, is dead. And she was like, what does this mean? Because aren't we saved by faith alone? Aren't we justified by our faith? Um, and I think we're still continually trying to figure that out because we're so focused on like works and spiritual disciplines. Um yeah. But being in the faith and being in Jesus, we were drawn yeah. to doing works for the gospel. Um, and that's what makes us countercultural is because there, even today there are, uh, my, my sister calls them casual Christians. Mm-hmm. They they say they believe in Jesus, but they, you know, the gospel, it, you can't see it on them almost. You can't like watch them live and see how Jesus is working through mm-hmm. them, um, which is, which is a, a great, you know, marker of a person following Christ is that you can you can see Jesus on them and you can even though they have flaws yes you can still see that they are intent intentionally trying to follow Jesus and the way of Christianity so when when it comes to works that's almost like attached to how you're being identified as a Christian but also doing those works without love it's the sound of of banging a gong and clashing cymbals so Mm. So taking taking your works and doing them just to do them is, is like worse than if you were doing them because you're glorifying God with them. Yeah, it's like Dr. Turner said, like if the resurrection is this new project like spilling out from the future into the present, then like through us it should also be spilling out right. from the future into the present. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's getting like to the end of the episode, but whatever, <laughs> we said it now, so we won't say it later. Um, uh, I think this is really cool, so I'm going to talk about it. Uh, so I was doing, like, research for this and, like, diving into it. I think this stuff is so cool, so I was like, okay. And um, Jay Cox is my roommate and one of my closest friends, and so, like, we were talking about it and just absolutely nerding out about it, um, which is so fun. But I was looking at this um, in terms of Genesis 1 and 2, and I never noticed before, but like the natural resources that, so the author of Genesis, like he's describing the garden, and then he takes this weird little aside, and he's like, by the way, there's all this stuff around Eden. Mm -hmm. Um, Like all of that stuff is also in New Jerusalem, which is cool. 
Um, like verse 11 says, shown with the glory of God, its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. Verse yeah. 18 says, the wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold that was clear like glass, which, excuse me. Uh, verse 21, <laughs> the 12 gates were 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold as pure as, again, transparent glass, which is cool. In Genesis 1, uh, yeah, it's, no, it's 2. It's Genesis 2. Um, it says the gold of that land is good. Bedelium and onyx stone are there. And that's the author of Genesis's mm-hmm. little aside. But in New Jerusalem, the gold has been put to use, reworked by like a master artist, mm-hmm. i.e. God, mm-hmm. uh, that it appears like glass like it's clear um which there's this japanese form of art style where it's like you take gold foil and you work it right. thin mm-hmm. and like it becomes translucent like gold is not translucent mm-hmm. um but like when it's you know pressed and when it's worked on by an artist who knows what they're doing then it becomes so like how infinitely creative is god yeah to right. get it to be clear mm-hmm. um and that's like gold plus culture, right? Mm-hmm. Making something of the world. Um, and everything is like this. Like the foundations of the wall are not adorned by minerals. Mm-hmm. They are adorned with jewels, which are like precious stones selected and polished and cut so that they're the most beautiful that ca- they can be, which mm-hmm. is, again, like minerals plus mm-hmm. culture. Um, and onyx is one of the jewels that makes up city's foundation, which is in Genesis 2. Bedelium is a, a tree gum that it hardens into like these little translucent white balls, which were used for jewelry, mm-hmm. pearls, um, which is cool. And then, yeah, so it's it, it was just so cool to me. I never had thought of that before um, or even noticed that, that all the natural riches that surrounded the garden have been cultivated Mm -hmm. and brought into their most striking expressions for the city. And then like, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, there's another little tie in there. Um, What we have uh, in Genesis 2, we see again fleshed out in 1 Kings 6, which then gets fleshed out in Revelation 21 and 22. Mm -hmm. It's the Holy of Holies. Mm, yeah. the it's a temple. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what we have in garden is a proto-temple. Mm-hmm. So people say, well, there's no temple in the new creation. Well, that's true. Yeah. Sort of. It's that the new creation is uh-huh. a temple. Yeah. Uh, in fact, the whole new creation just is a Holy of Holies. So we've mm. got the white hot presence of God shot through it mm-hmm. like you would in the Holy of Holies, the yeah. place where you dare not go unless you're right. the chief priest. Right. Um, the imagery you're point, pulling out there, if you can, if you map that onto 1 Kings 6, the cubic nature of the Holy of Holies, yeah. the cubic nature of the New Jerusalem, mm-hmm. like, the biblical authors are drawing a uh, oh, yeah. drawing a Big thread going, yeah. the cosmos is meant to be a temple. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's the whole point, the place in which Yahweh is worshipped. Good book for this if you want to nerd, more out, nerd out more about it. G.K. Beale's um, The Temple and the uh, Church's Mission. Okay. Cool. It's a big, thick book, but it's Good. chocked full of details. Nice. Thick books. Sweet. Um, yeah, it's so cool. And, like, talking about that, how, like, this new city, new creation, new – however you want to think of this, to be a temple, like, it's not this, like, great achievement. Like, it, mm-hmm. God's not proving himself to anybody. Mm-hmm. He's just giving us a gift, uh, yeah. which is so beautiful. And, like, he's taking – He's taking the thing, like Sylvia, what you said, like he's taking the thing that we did and messed up, the mm-hmm. city, and he's making – it new. He's yeah. making it better, um, infinitely better than we could right. ever imagine. Um, and I, 
I think it's cool that like he doesn't just do something new because that means the final act of redemptive creation is not just an act of creation. It's also an act of cultivation. Mm -hmm. Like he's picking things that we did pretty all right, but like not sinlessly Mm -hmm. um, and fully redeeming them. So why, why don't you think he just does something new? Do you mean like scrap the whole project and start over? Mm -hmm. Uh, So several things. Um, I don't think if you, so the notion of redemption mm-hmm. is not the same thing as wadding something up, throwing it out, and then starting over with something brand new. Right. That just is not to redeem the thing. That's to destroy the thing and make something numerically distinct, as we say in philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, why not? I mean, I just think it's something, the case about God's nature. He's about yeah. a God of saving, not a God of destruction. He's about a God, he's a God of redemption, not a God of giving up on things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the story we're told time and time and time again throughout the scriptures. God likes to bring life from death. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what we get in the Isaac and, or the um, Abram and Sarai passages with the birth of Isaac. It's what we get in the um, Samuel passage. I can't remember his mother's name. Um, who's also barren, gives birth to Samuel, um, is dedicated to the Lord. It's the thing that we get uh, from John the Baptist's parents um, Mm -hmm. and so on and so on, all figuring resurrection, all prefiguring new creation, life from Mm non-life, life from death. And I think that's just a, a fundamental part of who... Uh, God is. I think we have reasons to believe that's what he's about, given, again, those examples that I've talked about, but most importantly, the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, It's important. This is a claim I need to make important because my professional philosopher friends don't understand (laughs) this. Um, Jesus did not get, he did not swap his body out for some other body. The body that was crucified walked out of the tomb. Uh The bodies that we plant in the dirt are down payments on the body that's going to come out. Yeah. If you think, mm-hmm. it's like planting seeds. If you think that what God's going to do is wad up those bodies and give you a brand new, you know, what size are you, 40 short? Or I guess Luke for you, 40 tall or something, <laughs> um, 40 long. Uh, well, then what you don't have, you don't have resurrection there. You have yeah. reincarnation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, that is not the Christian hope. Precisely because I think God is a God of redemption and not mm. uh, not otherwise. Um, so that's why he doesn't start over new. Plus, uh, add on to this, for whatever reason that's inscrutable to me, God has chosen to work through humans. Mm. God doesn't just do yeah. barring the creation out of nothing. Yeah. God doesn't finish the creation. God doesn't decide to institute anything else aside from working through the hands of human beings. One of my favorite pictures of this in practice is the Joseph and Pharaoh story. Yeah. Mm, that is yeah. a paradigmatic story of um, nation of Israel, ch- Christian church, y'all are Joseph. Mm. Right. You have everything, the authority, the ruling, the sort of trust given over to mm-hmm. uh, you that Pharaoh gives to Joseph. Yeah. Everything right. but the throne is yours. The ring of authority, the mm-hmm. robe, whatever, you get to decree on Pharaoh's behalf. Israel, you get to decree on Yahweh's behalf, right? right? Don't mess this up, right. and, which they inevitably do. <laughs> Jesus, of course, is the perfect Joseph. Um, but eventually, we're going to rule and reign in the appropriate way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's how it works. You know, people ask... I keep talking. People, uh, people worry <laughs> quite a bit. Why doesn't God just like break into the world and do X, Y, or Z? 
I, I don't know why he doesn't just do things unilaterally, yeah. but he's chosen, seems like from the very beginning, not to do that. Uh-huh. He's chosen us to work with him and for him right. to work through us to mm-hmm. do things like heal diseases, mm-hmm. like set right wrongs and mm-hmm. so on. Um, yeah, that's why he doesn't do things just out of whole cloth. He's chosen not to do it that way because of, I think, the sort of God that he is. Yeah, yeah. yeah what, what this whole series is about um, really at its core, like scrap this book culture making, scrap this idea culture making, like we're talking about a God who giddily wants to partner with us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and like that is what screams at me when I think of this question, like why doesn't he do something new? Is that like he wants to keep our role in this yeah. alive. Yeah. Like he wants to take man's handiwork, mm-hmm. the things that we've created and failed at making like correctly. Mm-hmm. He wants to keep all of that in the new creation because uh, right. he wants to reveal the potential of the things that we've made when they are made sinless. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think it's it, that it is so evident. This idea is so evident in um, like the gates be, and the foundations because like the the gates have the the gates have the 12 tribes of Israel on them mm-hmm. and the foundations have the names of the 12 mm-hmm. apostles. Um, and I, I think that's so cool because like both Israel and the church are represented, even despite all the like the quarreling mess that they were and sure. the mm-hmm. like disobedient crowd. Um, like those two things have just marked our human history. Um, but human history represented here by these names is is wholly resurrected and redeemed forever and ever. Right. Um, and is like the the most important parts of the city. The foundation and, and the gates that mm-hmm. never shut, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw you writing something. Yeah, I was. I I didn't want to forget what I wanted to say, so I had to write it down. But uh, Dr. Turner and you just touched on this, wanting to partner with mm-hmm. creation, um, but also throughout salvation history and throughout um, this like redemptive work that God continually attempts to do and then does do with Jesus on the cross. Yeah. Um, we we look at Jesus and we say he is the the better Joseph or mm-hmm. the better David or you know the better Israel. Um, and that just it sparks a thought in me and it makes me see that yes, God wants to partner with us, but He also wants to show us that our creation is not the final say. Mm what we can do with our hands without him, which was what Israel was doing at mm. Babel, trying to build the tower to get to God. Yeah. So what we do with our hands without Jesus, without the gospel, it means nothing. It's it's worth nothing. But the second God takes our creation and re- and molds mm. it into what it was intended for, it's that is the new creation. That is the the reincarnation of our of our lives. So when I think of um, the whole like our bodies coming out of the grave yeah. once again. It's not reincarnation, but I do believe that um, God is going to take it and rework it so that mm. it, it fits the intention that he had for us in right. the beginning. So like our original sin is, is no longer there. Right. Um, and just like uh, our ailments aren't there and we don't cry anymore. Mm. So mm-hmm. a lot of the a lot of the things, and some people could chalk that up to reincarnation because you are not exactly 100% the same way you were when you went into the ground. Um, but like I wasn't the same person I was when I went into the water. True, yeah. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Then that's, I think, the whole picture that's happening. I mean, yeah. it, it, not I think, that is the whole picture that's mm-hmm. happening. 
this beautiful yeah. ground baptism, mm-hmm. but not really. You you come out again a new a new uh-huh. person. Um, but that I, that was a beautiful point of not being the same person as, as you went into the water and being changed when you come out is that's the the beauty of the gospel and it continues mm. after our death um, when Jesus comes when when heaven is brought to earth and and we have this these things made new including mm. our bodies mm-hmm. yeah thinking yeah that's all good yeah. <laughs> I was going to add, but I, there's nothing to add. So I think um, going back a little bit to this idea of like God wants to partner with us mm-hmm. again, like it's not just our names, like these like 24 representative names uh, of humanity, but it's like the things that we have done, literally the things that we have made are redeemed. Mm-hmm. Um, God gives a second chance to this fleet of boats called the ships of Tarshish. Mm. Um and some scholars think like, no, whatever. Uh, but so, okay, this this article I read, I can't remember what it was. Um, it was a few days ago. He was talking about how he looks at the ships of Tarshish as when they are like broken or shattered in Psalm. I can't remember where it is. One of the Psalms. Um, it's not like a like a splintering of the boats it's like a breaking like a like you'd break a stallion Mm. it's like a taming of the ships of Mm. tarshish because um i i can't remember either if it's in isaiah's vision or john's vision of this new thing that god is is doing and will do but the ships of tarshish are there Mm. um and they're recognized as that and he's and what are these doing exactly it's like i thought these were bad and it's like (laughs) boats excuse me um is this did richard middleton write this do you know yeah 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 yeah, that's wow yeah um walking library (laughs) um it was so good yeah but great but um so like there are these things that are are turned for good that were destructive uh, or turned back toward God that had turned away. Mm-hmm. But also last week we talked about how um, the cross is the, like the representative symbol of every cultural dead end that mm-hmm. there's been. It's representative of every gas chamber, mm-hmm. of every atom bomb, of every dagger, spear, bow and arrow, whatever. Um, but even that is redeemed into a symbol of hope and love mm-hmm. and and peace and victory. Um, and obviously, I think there are things that, that probably won't be a new creation, like a cross. There's no need for that. Sure. Um, but then there are these things that are like, well, ships that were used to terrorize coastal people are now turned into uh, vessels of commerce, I guess, yeah, sure. for, for mm-hmm. new creation. Yeah, sure. Swords turned into plowshares. And yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is so cool in how John connects his his vision that he has to Isaiah's vision. Again, just like drawing drawing these patterns through the Bible. Um, Isaiah sees a city whose gates never shut, mm-hmm. where the, there is no sun or moon. John sees that same thing. Right. Um, and the streets of both are teeming with not just Israel's artifacts, the things that Israel has done and made, but the other other things from other world, the glory of the nations. The glory of the nations, right. Um, mm-hmm. um, and so when John reframes it, he's sure to include that. And uh, there's this big marching of, of all the kings of the earth into uh, New Jerusalem through the gates uh, with all the stuff that right. they have, mm-hmm. which is so cool. And, like, you hear the, well, no one takes a U-Haul to heaven. Mm-hmm. Well, 
I think John would disagree. I don't <laughs> think like, of course, like my personal belongings aren't coming with right. me. Um, but human culture is the furniture of heaven. Hmm. Well, the furniture of new creation. The furniture anyway, of whatever new creation. Whatever you want to say about heaven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We yeah. can get into that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but right, no, I, I, I uh-huh. definitely think that that's. I, I think that's correct. Yeah. yeah. That's mm-hmm. right. Heaven in the in the colloquial sense, yes, I, right. I suppose. Yeah. Um, so I think then from there, it's interesting and hard and scary to ask ourselves like, are the things that we are making and cultivating mm-hmm. and the goods that we're devoting our lives to. Can I imagine that making its way into New Jerusalem? Mm. Mm. Because like, of course, or are they just like mediocrities at best and dead ends at worst? Um, Yeah, that's a hard question that as a a creative person trying to make things that help people see Jesus throughout the Bible, like that's a hard thing for me to talk because I'm, I'm, that's the content. Like, Mm -hmm. so it's not asking, am I making are the things I'm devoting my life to, are the goods that I'm making, whatever it is, are they Christian? Am I making Christian sure. culture? Because mm-hmm. that's not, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so that's a that's a interesting maybe action step is evaluate the things that you're devoting yourself to um, and the things that you're doing and, and ask yourself, like, is this worthy of redemption or is this a like a, a cross? Mm. Yeah, so I mean, I guess I'd want to encourage you to think about it, and maybe this would, this is what you mean, but maybe with a slight different lens in the following way. So Tom Wright, N.T. Wright, has this following sort of analogy, a word picture, mm. about what we're doing when we're doing things here. Yeah. Some, you know, there are some people whose eschatology suggests that, no, no, it's us who build the kingdom of God, and once it once it's pristine and ready, then Jesus returns. We call these mm-hmm. people post-millennialists. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Tom is not a post-millennialist, but he says, I, I agree that the actions that we do are preparing for the return of Christ in the following way. Imagine you were an illiterate stonemason can't read blueprints or whatever the case. You're not an engineer. You don't know how the parts fit, but you know how to make a part. Mm. Mm. And so you see, here's the instructions. Carve a stone, yay big, of this dimension and this, you know, shape and size or whatever. You have no idea if it's going to be the keystone or whatever. In mm. fact, you don't really know what those terms are. You just know, here's the thing you've got to cut out and do, re- and you're really good at it. Uh, well, you just follow orders. I'm going to do this thing. And however the chief architect wants to put this together, I'm going to trust that person mm-hmm. because mm. they know more yeah. than me. Well, imagine that you thought of your actions here on earth as that. Yeah. You've got no idea how they're going to fit in. And it's not for you to wonder, how is it going to fit in? Mm-hmm. It's for you rather to ask yourself only the following question. Is what I'm doing right now, as far as I can tell, being obedient to what God has mm-hmm. asked me to do? Right. right. Qua human and image bearer. Yeah. It, and look. There's lots of freedom in all of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and as long as you can say yes and you're doing that with the right sorts of intentions, I think you can leave the, is this going to be beautiful mm. enough for God to bring in the new creation? Leave that up to him. Mm. Do the best job you can and allow the church, chief architect to flit, fit it in where he sees mm-hmm. fit. Yeah, I guess it is I guess it is less about that and it's more about, um, like, am I living within God's design for right. what it means to be a person? Sure. Um, yeah. Hmm. So from like all of that, everything we just talked about, 
what is like how do we live that you know like this is all because we we talked touched a little bit on so many people are postponing this reality yeah um so but what does this mean for like the three of us and everyone listening like making something of the world today Mm. i think i think it all comes back to the the obedience of living like um the term like living like jesus would be here tomorrow um like are you living your life with an intention of being obedient to the way of Jesus Christ. Mm. Um, because if you're if you're intentionally not doing that, obviously that's a different sort of question yeah. and answer, uh-huh. but um, what happens if you if you almost start to talk past each other and and believe that what you think you're doing as a follower of the way and right. what someone else is doing is not uh, almost falling into this religious culture of of a Pharisee of saying mm. no, I do all of these things and I'm right and you're wrong. Um, I think it's tricky to draw the line of following so closely to one another because we are meant to be different, right? Um, and and obviously taking scripture as the the authoritative word as this like example that we're supposed to be looking mm. to. Um, to be obedient, um, I think a lot of people find that their faults and their flaws and the way they fall from being obedient, they almost take it as this like, man, I'm never going to be obedient and I'm yeah. never going to be yeah. able to um, do the things that the Father is calling me to do in the in the intentional way that he wants me to do them. Um, but that, that comes to the point mm-hmm. where we have to do it with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like if you're trying to be obedient on your own, then it's not obedience, it's selfishness. Yeah, that's good. Um, so doing it without Jesus is, is ultimately harder and ultimately not what we're supposed to be doing, but doing it with Jesus, trying to create this life of following him and, and doing everything in our power to look more like him day by day with mm-hmm. sanctification. Um, I think that's this like the biggest reality of of doing that, and obviously that's hard, right? In and of itself, I mean, you sometimes can't even talk about it in like the correct vernacular <laughs> because um, there are so many different varying views on on sanctification and living like Jesus. Um, right. But surrounding yourself with people also who have your best intentions in mind yeah. and that all that usually does means they're going to tell you what you don't want to hear uh-huh. um surrounding yourself with people like that who know who you are yeah. and like know your stuff and they're going to call you out on it but they're also going to call you up to to be the person that jesus has made you be made you to be hmm. i think that also is a, a giant factor in how we how we create a culture of of being a follower of Jesus and not just like continuing in what mainstream culture wants us to do and act like. Yeah. You said um, one thing about like how we get into our heads about like the ways which we like fall from mm-hmm. that. Um, there's this Catholic, oh man, he's a professor somewhere. Anyway, uh, his name is Martin Laird. He's very very brilliant. I just read a book about contemplative prayer by him mm-hmm. uh, called Into the Silent Land. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. It is very wacky and <laughs> very awesome. Um, and he talks about for a good chunk of the the last little bit of the book, he talks about the liturgy of our wounds mm-hmm. um, and how it is our it is our shortcomings that pull us into Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and he sets that in the context of of sort of silence and solitude and mm-hmm. all all of these different things. Um, but I think there's so much freedom in that and that like we don't have to, we don't have to worry about the ways that we're not enough because mm-hmm. like it's not us, right? you know, it's not about me. It's about Jesus and what he has done and what he is doing and what he will do. Mm-hmm. Um, which is like you said, hard to surrender that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very important. Yeah. And that also like coming to the point where it's not about us, that also doesn't allow us to look at our lives and live them the way we want to. Right. Yeah. Because, because then we're not looking like Jesus yeah, at all. Yeah. yeah. So, taking that uh-huh. and, and seeing that it's not about us because we're following Jesus and we're looking more like Jesus right. therefore not like us. So. Yeah. Good, good distinction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anything to add, Dr. Turner? No, I mean, I think uh, the way Sylvia put it was yeah. quite nice, especially the working with Jesus bit. I mean, it sounds like it's really echoing what you guys have been covering this entire yeah. series. You've, it seems like every day we've got a choice. You either can choose to rule and reign with Yahweh, mm-hmm. or you can choose to rule and reign yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Either you can choose to build Babylon or Babel, or you can choose to build towards the new creation. Yeah. Right. It's the same choices all the time. Uh-huh. And if you choose not to do things with Jesus, if you start your day not with Jesus, mm-hmm. if you don't walk every step with Jesus, you're building Babylon. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and things are going to go south real fast. Oh, they will. Yep. And they do. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a great conversation. Yeah, thanks for having <laughs> and me. And I'm, I'm so yeah. happy that this is the one to kind of end us off, send right. us into summer. Um, yeah, thank you both for coming. Thanks, thanks for having Turner, us. Yeah. Uh, Sylvia on very short notice. I was in systematic theology when <laughs> Luke tried to call me. <laughs> oh, great. Hey, what a great class to come out of to, oh, to talk yeah. about Right, this. right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this was a great conversation. We don't have any events coming up, so we usually do events at the end of the episodes, but hey, we're done. Summer so. is the event. That's yeah, it. summer is <laughs> the event. Have fun, everyone, in summer. We'll be back. We're going to have like two more little bonus ones, but this is sort of it for this series that we've been doing. Um, Thanks for listening in. Thanks for coming along on this journey of figuring out how to partner with God, really, is what it has been about. Um, And this episode just wrapped that up so perfectly. Mm. So, yeah, thanks. Bye. Thank you.